0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. And now, Chapter 5, The Hound of the Baskervilles, A Sherlock Holmes Adventure by Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter 5, Three Broken Threads Sherlock Holmes had, in a very remarkable degree, the power of detaching his mind at will. For two hours, the strange business in which we had been involved "'appeared to be forgotten, "'and he was entirely absorbed "'in the pictures of the modern Belgian masters. "'He would talk of nothing but art, "'of which he had the crudest ideas, "'from our leaving the gallery "'until we found ourselves "'at the Northumberland Hotel. "'Sir Henry Baskerville is upstairs "'expecting you,' said the clerk. "'He asked me to show you up at once "'when you came.' "'Have you any objection to me "'looking at your register?' "'said Holmes.' Not in the least the book showed that two names had been added after that of Baskerville. one was Theophilus Johnson and family of Newcastle the other mrs. Oldmore and maid of High Lodge Alton surely that must be the same Johnson whom I used to know said Holmes to the porter a lawyer is he not gray-headed and walks with a limp and no oh, sir this is mr. Johnson the coal owner a very active gentleman. "'Not older than yourself.' "'Surely you are mistaken about his trade?' "'No, sir. "'He has used this hotel for many years, "'and he's very well known to us.' "'Ah, that settles it. "'Mrs. Oldmore, too. "'I seem to remember the name. "'Excuse my curiosity, "'but often in calling on one friend, "'one finds another. "'She's an invalid lady, sir. "'Her husband was once mayor of Gloucester. "'She always comes to us when she's in town.' "'Thank you. I'm afraid I cannot claim her acquaintance. "'We have established a most important fact by these questions, Watson,' he continued in a low voice as we went upstairs together. "'We know now that the people who are so interested in our friend "'have not settled down in his own hotel. "'That means that while they are, as we have seen, "'very anxious to watch him, "'they are equally anxious that he should not see them.' now this is a most suggestive fact.' "'What does it suggest?' "'It suggests—' "'Hello, my dear fellow. What on earth is the matter?' As we came round the top of the stairs, we had run up against Sir Henry Baskerville himself. His face was flushed with anger, and he held an old and dusty boot in one of his hands. So furious was he that he was hardly articulate. And when he did speak—' "'It was in a much broader and more western dialect "'than any which we had heard from him in the morning. "'It seems to me they're playing me for a sucker in this hotel,' he cried. "'They'll find they've started in monkey with the wrong man, "'unless they're careful. "'By thunder, if that chap can't find my missing boot, "'there will be trouble. "'I can take a joke with the best, Mr. Holmes, "'but they've got a bit over the mark this time. "'Still looking for your boot?' "'Yes, sir,' and mean to find it. But surely, you said that it was a new brown boot? So it was, sir, and now it's an old black one. What? You don't mean to say. That's just what I do mean to say. I only had three pairs in the world, the new brown, the old black, and the patent leathers, which I'm wearing. Last night they took one of my brown ones, and today they've sneaked one of the black. Well, "'Have you got it? Speak out, man. Don't stand staring.' An agitated German waiter had appeared upon the scene. "'No, sir. I've made an inquiry all over the hotel, but I can hear no word of it. "'Well, either that boot comes back before sundown, or I'll see the manager and tell him that I go right straight out of this hotel. "'It shall be found, sir. I promise you that if you have a little patience, it will be found.' "'Mind it is.' For it's the last thing of mine that I'll lose in this den of thieves. Well, well, Mr. Holmes, you'll excuse my troubling you about such a trifle. Uh, I think it's well worth troubling about. Why, you look very serious over it. How do you explain it? I just don't attempt to explain it. It seems the very maddest, queerest thing that ever happened to me. Uh, the queerest, perhaps, said Holmes, thoughtfully. "'What do you make of it yourself?' "'Well, I don't profess to understand it yet. "'This case of yours is very complex, Sir Henry. "'When taken in conjunction with your uncle's death, "'I am not sure that of all the five hundred cases "'of capital importance which I have handled, "'there is one which cuts so deep. "'But we hold several threads in our hands, "'and the odds are that one or the other of them "'might guide us to the truth.' We may waste time in following the wrong one, but sooner or later we must come upon the right. We had a pleasant luncheon in which little was said of the business which had brought us together. It was in the private sitting room to which we afterwards repaired that Holmes asked Baskerville what were his intentions. To go to Baskerville Hall. And when? At the end of the week. On the whole, said Holmes. I think that your decision is a wise one. I have ample evidence that you are being dogged in London, and amid the millions of this great city, it is difficult to discover who these people are or what their object can be. If their intentions are evil, they might do you a mischief, and we should be powerless to prevent it. You did not know, Dr. Mortimer, that you were followed this morning from my house? Dr. Mortimer started violently. Followed? By whom?' "'That, unfortunately, is what I cannot tell you. Have you among your neighbors or acquaintances on Dartmoor any man with a black, full beard?' "'No. Er. Uh, let me see. Why, yes, Barrymore. Sir Charles's butler is a man with a full black beard.' "'Ha! And where is Barrymore?' "'He is in charge of the hall.' We had best ascertain if he is really there, or if by any possibility he might be in London. How can you do that? Give me a telegraph form. Is all ready for Sir Henry? That will do. Addressed to Mr. Barrymore, Baskerville Hall. What's the nearest telegraph office? Grimpen. Very good. We will send a second wire to the postmaster, "'Grimpin telegram to Mr. Barrymore to be delivered into his own hand. "'If absent, please return wire to Sir Henry Baskerville, Northumberland Hotel. "'That should let us know before evening whether Barrymore is at his post in Devonshire or not.' "'That's so,' said Baskerville. "'By the way, Dr. Mortimer, who is this Barrymore, anyhow?' "'He is the son of an old caretaker who is dead.' They've looked after the hall for four generations now. So far as I know, he and his wife are as respectable a couple as any in the county. At the same time, said Baskerville, it's clear enough that so long as there are none of the family at the hall, these people have a mighty fine home and nothing to do. That is true. Did Barrymore profit at all by Sir Charles's will? asked Holmes. He and his wife had five hundred pounds each. Aha! Did they know that they would receive this? Yes. Sir Charles was very fond of talking about the provisions of his will. That is very interesting. I hope, said Dr. Mortimer, that you do not look with suspicious eyes upon everyone who received a legacy from Sir Charles, for I also had a thousand pounds left to me. Indeed. And anyone else? There were many insignificant sums to individuals, and a large number of public charities. The residue all went to Sir Henry. And how much was the residue? Seven hundred and forty thousand pounds. Holmes raised his eyebrows in surprise. I had no idea that so gigantic a sum was involved," said he. Sir Charles had the reputation of being rich, but we did not know how very rich he was, until we came to examine his securities. The total value of the estate was close on to a million. Dear me! It is a stake for which a man might well play a desperate game. And one more question, Dr. Mortimer. Supposing that anything happened to our young friend here, you will forgive the unpleasant hypothesis. Who would inherit the estate? Since Roger Baskerville, Sir Charles's younger brother, died unmarried, The estate would descend to the Desmonds, who are distant cousins. James Desmond is an elderly clergyman in Westmoreland. Thank you. These details are all of great interest. Have you met Mr. James Desmond? Yes. He once came down to visit Sir Charles. He is a man of venerable appearance, and of saintly life. I remember that he refused to accept any settlement from Sir Charles, though he pressed it upon him. And this man of simple taste would be the heir to Sir Charles's thousands. He would be the heir to the estate, because that is entailed. He would also be the heir to the money, unless it were willed otherwise by the present owner, who can, of course, do what he likes with it. And have you made your will, Sir Henry? No, Mr. Holmes, I have not. I have had no time, for it was only yesterday that I learned how matters stood. But in any case, I feel that the money should go with the title and estate, "'That was my poor uncle's idea. "'How is the owner going to restore the glories of the Baskervilles "'if he has not money enough to keep up the property? "'House, land, and dollars must go together.' "'Quite so. "'Well, Sir Henry, I am of one mind with you "'as to the advisability of your going down to Devonshire without delay. "'There is only one provision which I must make. "'You certainly must not go alone.' "'Dr. Mortimer returns with me. "'But Dr. Mortimer has his practice to attend to, "'and his house is miles away from yours. "'With all the goodwill in the world, "'he may be unable to help you. "'No, Sir Henry, you must take with you someone, "'a trusty man, who will be always by your side. "'Is it possible that you could come yourself, Mr. Holmes?' "'If matters come to a crisis, "'I should endeavor to be present in person. "'But you can understand... "'that with my extensive consulting practice "'and with the constant appeals "'which reach me from many quarters, "'it's impossible for me to be absent from London "'for an indefinite time. "'At the present instant, "'one of the most revered names in England "'is being besmirched by a blackmailer, "'and only I can stop a disastrous scandal. "'You will see how impossible it is "'for me to go to Dartmoor. "'Whom would you recommend, then?' "'Holmes laid his hand upon my arm.' If my friend would undertake it, there is no man who is better worth having at your side when you're in a tight place. No one can say so more confidently than I. America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, You impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. The proposition took me completely by surprise. But before I had time to answer, Baskerville seized me by the hand and wrung it heartily. Well, now, that is real kind of you, Dr. Watson, said he. You see how it is with me? "'and you know just as much about the matter as I do. "'If you will come down to Baskerville Hall "'and see me through, I'll never forget it.' "'The promise of adventure had always a fascination for me, "'and I was complimented by the words of Holmes "'and by the eagerness with which the baronet "'hailed me as a companion. "'I will come, with pleasure,' said I. "'I do not know how I could employ my time better.' "'and you will report very carefully to me,' said Holmes. "'When a crisis comes, as it will do, "'I will direct how you shall act. "'I suppose that by Saturday all might be ready.' "'Would that suit, Dr. Watson?' "'Perfectly. "'Then on Saturday, unless you hear to the contrary, "'we shall meet at the 10.30 train from Paddington.' "'We had risen to depart "'when Baskerville gave a cry of triumph, and diving into one of the corners of the room, he drew a brown boot from under a cabinet. heh My missing boot!' he cried. "'May all our difficulties vanish as easily,' said Sherlock Holmes. "'But it is a very singular thing,' Dr. Mortimer remarked. "'I searched this room carefully before lunch.' "'And so did I,' said Baskerville. "'Every inch of it.' "'There was certainly no boot in it then. "'In that case, the waiter must have placed it there while we were launching.' "'The German was sent for, but professed to know nothing of the matter, "'nor could any inquiry clear it up. "'Another item had been added to that constant "'and apparently purposeless series of small mysteries "'which had succeeded each other so rapidly. "'Setting aside the whole grim story of Sir Charles's death, we had a line of inexplicable incidents all within the limits of two days, which included the receipt of the printed letter, the black-bearded spy in the hansom, the loss of the new brown boot, the loss of the old black boot, and now the return of the new brown boot. Holmes sat in silence in the cab as we drove back to Baker Street, and I knew from his drawn brows and keen face that his mind, like my own, was busy in endeavoring to frame some scheme into which all these strange and apparently disconnected episodes could be fitted. All afternoon and late into the evening, he sat lost in tobacco and thought. Just before dinner, two telegrams were handed in. The first ran, "'Have just heard that Barrymore is at the Hall, Baskerville.' The second, "'Visited 23 hotels as directed,' But sorry to report, unable to trace cut sheet of times. Signed, Cartwright. Well, there go two of my threads, Watson. There's nothing more stimulating than a case where everything goes against you. We must cast round for another cent. Well, we still have the cabman who drove the spy. Exactly. I have wired to get his name and address from the official registry. I should not be surprised if this were an answer to my question. The ring at the bell proved to be something even more satisfactory than an answer, however, for the door opened and a rough-looking fellow entered who was evidently the man himself. I got a message from the head office that a gent at this address had been inquiring for number 2704, said he. I've driven my cab this seven years and never a word of complaint. I came here straight from the yard to ask you to your face what you had against me. "'I have nothing in the world against you, my good man,' said Holmes. "'On the contrary, I have half a sovereign for you, "'if you will give me a clear answer to my questions.' "'Well, I've had a good day and no mistake,' said the cabman, with a grin. "'What was it you wanted to ask, sir? First of all, your name and address, in case I want you again. "'John Clayton, 3 Turpy Street, the Borough. MY CAB IS OUT OF SHIPLEY'S YARD NEAR Waterloo STATION. SHERLOCK HOLMES MADE A NOTE OF IT. NOW, CLAYTON, TELL ME ALL ABOUT THE FAIR WHO CAME AND WATCHED THIS HOUSE AT TEN O'CLOCK THIS MORNING, AND AFTERWARDS FOLLOWED THE TWO GENTLEMEN DOWN REGENT STREET. THE MAN LOOKED SURPRISED, AND A LITTLE EMBARRASSED. WHY, THERE'S NO GOOD IN MY TELLING YOU THINGS, FOR YOU SEEM TO KNOW AS MUCH AS I DO ALREADY, SAID HE. The truth is that the gentleman told me that he was a detective and that I was to say nothing about him to anyone. "'My good fellow, this is a very serious business, and you may find yourself in a pretty bad position if you try to hide anything from me. You say that your fare told you that he was a detective?' "'Yes, he did. When did he say this?' "'When he left me. Did he say anything more?' He mentioned his name. Holmes cast a swift glance of triumph at me. Oh, he mentioned his name, did he? That was imprudent. What was the name that he mentioned? His name, said the cabman, was Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Never have I seen my friend more completely taken aback than by that cabman's reply. For an instant he sat in silent amazement, "'and then he burst into a hearty laugh. "'A touch, Watson, an undeniable touch,' said he. "'I feel a foil as quick and supple as my own. "'He got home upon me pretty prettily that time. "'So his name was Sherlock Holmes, was it?' "'Yes, sir, that was the gentleman's name. "'Excellent. Tell me where you picked him up and all that occurred.' "'He hailed me at half-past nine in Trafalgar Square.' He said that he was a detective, and he offered me two guineas if I would do exactly what he wanted all day and ask no questions. I was glad enough to agree. First we drove down to the Northumberland Hotel and waited there until two gentlemen came out and took a cab from the rank. We followed their cab until it pulled up somewhere near here. This very door, said Holmes. Well, I couldn't be sure of that, but I dare say my fare knew all about it. "'We pulled up halfway down the street "'and waited an hour and a half. "'Then the two gentlemen passed us walking, "'and we followed down Baker Street and along. "'I know, I know,' said Holmes, "'until we got, got three-quarters down Regent Street. "'Then my gentleman threw up the trap, "'and he cried that I should drive right away "'to Waterloo Station as hard as I could go. "'I whipped up the mare, "'and we were there under ten minutes.' THEN HE PAID UP HIS TWO GUINEAS, LIKE A GOOD ONE, AND AWAY HE WENT INTO THE STATION. ONLY JUST AS HE WAS LEAVING, HE TURNED AROUND AND HE SAID, IT MIGHT INTEREST YOU TO KNOW THAT YOU'VE BEEN DRIVING MR. SHERLOCK HOLMES. AND THAT'S HOW I CAME TO KNOW THE NAME. I SEE, AND YOU SAW NO MORE OF HIM. NOT AFTER HE WENT INTO THE STATION. AND HOW WOULD YOU DESCRIBE MR. SHERLOCK HOLMES? THE CABMAN SCRATCHED HIS HEAD. "'Well, he wasn't altogether such an easy gentleman to describe. "'I'd put him at forty years of age, "'and he was of middle height two or three inches shorter than you. "'He was dressed like a toff, and he had a black beard, "'cut square at the end, and a pale face. "'I don't know if I could say much more than that. "'Color of his eyes?' "'No, I don't remember.' "'Nothing more that you can remember.' "'Nope, nothing. "'Well, then, here is your half-sovereign. "'There's another one waiting for you "'if you can bring any more information. "'Good night.' "'Good night, sir, and thank you.' "'John Clayton departed, chuckling, "'and Holmes turned to me with a shrug of his shoulders "'and a rueful smile. "'Snap goes our third thread, "'and we end where we began,' said he. "'That cunning rascal!' He knew our number. He knew that Sir Henry Baskerville had consulted me, spotted who I was in Regent Street, conjectured that I had got the number off the cab and would lay my hands on the driver, and so sent back this audacious message. Whew. I tell you, Watson, this time we've got a foeman who is worthy of our steel. I've been checkmated in London. I can only wish you better luck in Devonshire. But I'm not easy in my mind about it. About what? About sending you. It's an ugly business, Watson. An ugly, dangerous business. And the more I see of it, the less I like it. Yes, my dear fellow, you may laugh, but I give you my word that I shall be very glad to have you back safe and sound in Baker Street once more. CHAPTER six. Baskerville Hall. Sir Henry Baskerville and Dr. Mortimer were ready upon the appointed day. And we started as arranged for Devonshire. Mr. Sherlock Holmes drove with me to the station and gave me his last parting injunctions and advice. I will not bias your mind by suggesting theories or suspicions, Watson, said he. I wish you simply to report facts in the fullest possible manner to me, and you can leave me to do the theorizing. What sort of facts? I asked anything which may seem to have a bearing however indirect upon the case, and especially the relations between young Baskerville and his neighbors, or any fresh particulars concerning the death of Sir Charles. I've made some inquiries myself in the last few days, but the results have, I fear, been negative. One thing only appears to be certain, and that is that Mr. James Desmond, who is the next heir, is an elderly gentleman of very amiable disposition. So that this persecution does not arise from him. I really think that we may eliminate him entirely from our calculations. There remain the people who will actually surround Sir Henry Baskerville upon the moor. Would it not be well in the first place to get rid of this Barrymore couple? By no means. You could not make a greater mistake. If they are innocent, it will be a cruel injustice, and if they are guilty, "'we should be giving up all chance "'of bringing it home to them. "'No, we will preserve them "'upon our list of suspects. "'Then there is a groom at the hall, "'if I remember right. "'There are two Moorland farmers. "'There's our friend Dr. Mortimer, "'whom I believe to be entirely honest. "'And there is his wife, "'of whom we know nothing. "'There is this naturalist Stapleton, "'and there is his sister, "'who is said to be a young lady of attractions.' There is Mr. Franklin, of Laughter Hall, who is also an unknown factor, and there are one or two other neighbors. These are the folk who must be your very special study. I will do my best. You have arms, I suppose? Yes, I thought it as well to take them. Most certainly. Keep your revolver near you night and day, and never relax your precautions.' "'Our friends had already secured a first-class carriage "'and were waiting for us upon the platform.' "'No, we have no news of any kind,' "'said Dr. Mortimer, in answer to my friends' questions. "'I can swear to one thing, "'and that is that we have not been shadowed "'during the last two days. "'We have never gone out without keeping a sharp watch, "'and no one could have escaped our notice.' "'You have always kept together, I presume?' "'Except yesterday afternoon.' "'I usually give up one day to pure amusement when I come to town, "'so I spent it at the Museum of the College of Surgeons.' "'And I went to look at the folk in the park,' said Baskerville. "'But we had no trouble of any kind.' "'It was imprudent all the same,' said Holmes, "'shaking his head and looking very grave. "'I beg, Sir Henry, that you will not go about alone. "'Some great misfortune will befall you if you do. "'Did you get your other boot?' "'No, I think it's gone forever.' "'Indeed. "'That is very interesting. "'Well, "'good-bye,' "'he added as the train began to glide down the platform. "'Bear in mind, Sir Henry, "'one of the phrases in that queer old legend "'which Dr. Mortimer had read to us, "'and avoid the moor in those hours of darkness "'when the powers of evil are exalted.' "'I looked back at the platform "'when we had left it far behind,' and saw the tall, austere figure of Holmes standing motionless and gazing after us. The journey was a swift and pleasant one, and I spent it in making the more intimate acquaintance of my two companions, and in playing with Dr. Mortimer's spaniel. In a very few hours, the brown earth had become ruddy, the brick had changed to granite, and red cows grazed in well-hedged fields where the lush grasses and more luxuriant vegetation spoke of a richer, if a damper, climate. Young Baskerville stared eagerly out of the window and cried aloud with delight as he recognized the familiar features of the Devon scenery. "'I've been over a good part of the world since I left it, Dr. Watson,' said he, "'but I've never seen a place to compare with it. "'I never saw a Devonshire man "'who did not swear by his county,' I remarked. "'It depends upon the breed of men "'quite as much as on the county.' said dr mortimer a glance at our friend here reveals the rounded head of the celt which carries inside it the celtic enthusiasm and power of attachment poor sir charles's head was of a very rare type half gaelic half ibernian in its characteristics but you were very young when you last saw baskerville hall were you not i was a boy in my teens at the time of my father's death and had never seen the hall "'for he lived in a little cottage on the south coast. "'And that's I went straight to a friend in America. "'I tell you it is all as new to me as it is to Dr. Watson, "'and I am as keen as possible to see the moor.' "'Are you? "'Then your wish is easily granted, "'for there is your first sight of the moor,' "'said Dr. Mortimer, pointing out of the carriage window. "'Over the green squares of the fields "'and the low curve of the wood,' "'there rose in the distance "'a gray, melancholy hill "'with a strange, jagged summit, "'dim and vague in the distance, "'like some fantastic landscape "'in a dream. "'Baskerville sat for a long time, "'his eyes fixed upon it, "'and I read upon his eager face "'how much it meant to him "'this first sight of that strange spot "'where the men of his blood "'had held sway so long "'and left their marks so deep. "'There he sat, with his tweed suit and his American accent, in the corner of a prosaic railway carriage. And yet, as I looked at his dark and expressive face, I felt more than ever how true a descendant he was of that long line of high-blooded, fiery, and masterful men. There were pride, valor, and strength in his thick brows, his sensitive nostrils, and his large hazel eyes. "'if on that forbidding moor "'a difficult and dangerous quest should lie before us. "'This was at least a comrade "'for whom one might venture to take a risk "'with the certainty that he would bravely share it. "'The train pulled up at a small wayside station "'and we all descended. "'Outside, beyond the low white fence, "'a wagonette with a pair of cobs was waiting. "'Our coming was evidently a great event.' "'for station-master and porters clustered round us to carry out our luggage. "'It was a sweet, simple country spot, "'but I was surprised to observe that by the gate there stood two soldierly men in dark uniforms "'who leaned upon their short rifles and glanced keenly at us as we passed. "'The coachman, a hard-faced, gnarled little fellow, saluted Sir Henry Baskerville, "'and that a few minutes we were flying swiftly down the broad, white road.' "'Rolling pasturelands curved upward on either side of us, "'and old gabled houses peeped out from amid the thick green foliage. "'But behind the peaceful and sunlit countryside "'there rose ever, dark against the evening sky, "'the long, gloomy curve of the moor, "'broken by the jagged and sinister hills. "'The wagonette swung round onto a side road, "'and we curved upward through deep lanes "'worn by centuries of wheels.' high banks on either side, heavy with dripping moss and fleshy heart tongue ferns. Bronzing bracken and mottled bramble gleamed in the light of the sinking sun. Still steadily rising, we passed over a narrow granite bridge and skirted a noisy stream which gushed swiftly down, foaming and roaring amid the gray boulders. Both road and stream wound up to a valley dense with scrub oak and fir, At every turn, Baskerville gave an exclamation of delight, looking eagerly about him and asking countless questions. To his eyes, all seemed beautiful, but to me, a tinge of melancholy lay upon the countryside, which bore so clearly the mark of the waning year. Yellow leaves carpeted the lanes and fluttered down upon us as we passed. The rattle of our wheels died away as we drove through the drifts of rotting vegetation Sad gifts, as it seemed to me, for nature to throw before the carriage of the returning heir of the Baskervilles. Hello, cried Dr. Mortimer. What is this? A steep curve of heath clad land, an outlying spur of the moor, lay in front of us. On the summit, hard and clear like an equestrian statue upon its pedestal, was a mounted soldier, dark and stern. "'his rifle poised ready over his forearm. "'He was watching the road along which we traveled. "'What is this, Perkins?' asked Dr. Mortimer. "'Our driver half-turned in his seat. "'There's a convict escaped from Princetown, sir. "'He's been out three days now, "'and the warders watch every road and every station, "'but they've had no sight of him yet. "'The farmers about here don't like it, sir, and that's a fact.' "'Well, I understand that they get five pounds "'if they can give information.' "'Yes, sir, but the chance of five pounds "'is but a poor thing compared to the chance "'of having your throat cut. "'You see, it isn't like any ordinary convict. "'This was a man that would stop at nothing.' "'Who is he, then?' "'It is Selden, the Notting Hill murderer.' "'I remembered the case well, "'for it was one in which Holmes had taken an interest "'on account of the peculiar ferocity of the crime.' "'and the wanton brutality which had marked "'all the actions of the assassin. "'The commutation of his death sentence "'had been due to some doubts as to his complete sanity, "'so atrocious was his conduct. "'Our wagonette had topped a rise, "'and in front of us rose the huge expanse of the moor, mottled with gnarled and craggy cairns and tors. "'A cold wind swept down from it and set us shivering. "'Somewhere there, on that desolate plain,' was lurking this fiendish man, hiding in a burrow like a wild beast, his heart full of malignancy against the whole race which had cast him out. It needed but this to complete the grim suggestiveness of the barren waste, the chilling wind, and the darkling sky. Even Baskerville fell silent and pulled his overcoat more closely around him. We had left the fertile country behind and beneath us. We looked back on it now, The slanting rays of a low sun turning the streams to threads of gold and glowing on the red earth, new turned by the plow, and the broad tangle of the woodlands. The road in front of us grew bleaker and wilder over huge russet and olive slopes, sprinkled with giant boulders. Now and then we passed a moorland cottage, walled and roofed with stone, with no creeper to break its harsh outline. Suddenly we looked down into a cup like depression. "'patched with studded oaks and firs "'which had been twisted and bent "'by the fury of years of storms. two high, narrow towers rose over those trees. "'The driver pointed with his whip. "'Baskerville Hall,' said he. "'Its master had risen "'and was staring with flushed cheeks and shining eyes. "'A few minutes later we had reached the lodge gates, "'a maze of fantastic tracery and wrought iron, "'with weather-bitten pillars on either side.' "'blotched with lichens, and surmounted by the boar's heads of the Baskervilles. "'The lodge was a ruin of black granite and bared ribs of rafters, "'but facing it was a new building, half-constructed, "'the first fruit of Sir Charles's South African gold. "'Through the gateway we passed into the avenue, "'where the wheels were again hushed amid the leaves, "'and the old trees shot their branches in a somber tunnel over our heads.' Baskerville shuddered as he looked up at the long, dark drive to where the house glimmered like a ghost at the farther end. "'Was it here?' he asked in a low voice. "'No, no. The U Alley's on the other side.' The young heir glanced round with a gloomy face. "'It's no wonder my uncle felt as if trouble were coming on him, in such a place as this,' said he. "'It's enough to scare any man.' I'll have a row of electric lamps up here inside of six months, and you won't know it again, with a thousand power swan and Edison right here in front of the hall door. The avenue opened into a broad expanse of turf, and the house lay before us. In the fading light, I could see that the center was a heavy block of building from which a porch projected. The whole front was draped in ivy, with a patch-clipped bare here and there, where a window or a coat of arms broke through the dark veil. "'From this central block rose the twin towers, "'ancient, crenellated, and pierced with many loopholes. "'To the right and left of the turrets "'were more modern wings of black granite. "'A dull light shone through heavy, mullioned windows, "'and from the high chimneys which rose from the steep, "'high-angled roof, there sprang a single black column of smoke. "'Welcome, Sir Henry. Welcome to Baskerville Hall.' A tall man had stepped from the shadow of the porch to open the door of the wagonette. The figure of a woman was silhouetted against the yellow light of the hall. She came out and helped the man to hand down our bags. "'You don't mind my driving straight home, Sir Henry?' said Dr. Mortimer. "'My wife is expecting me.' Surely you will stay and have some dinner?' "'No, I must go. I shall probably find some work awaiting me. I would stay to show you over the house.' but Barrymore here will be a better guide than I. Goodbye, and never hesitate night or day to send for me if I can be of service. The wheels died away down the drive while Sir Henry and I turned into the hall, and the door clanged heavily behind us. It was a fine apartment in which we found ourselves, large, lofty, and heavily raftered with huge bulks of aged blackened oak. In the great old-fashioned fireplace behind the iron dog's "'A log fire crackled and snapped. "'Sir Henry and I held out our hands to it, "'for we were numb from our long drive. "'Then we gazed round us at the high, thin windows "'of old stained glass, the oak paneling, "'the stag's heads, the coats of arms upon the walls, "'all dim and somber in the subdued light of the central lamp. "'It's just as I imagined it,' said Sir Henry. "'Is it not the very picture of an old family home?' "'to think that this should be the same hall "'in which for five hundred years my people have lived. "'It strikes me solemn to think of it. "'I saw his dark face lit up with boyish enthusiasm "'as he gazed about him. "'The light beat upon him where he stood, "'but long shadows trailed down the walls "'and hung like a black canopy above him. "'Barrymore had returned from taking our luggage to our rooms. "'He stood in front of us now "'with the subdued manner of a well-trained servant.' He was a remarkable-looking man, tall, handsome, with a square black beard and pale, distinguished features. "'Would you wish dinner to be served at once, sir?' "'Is it ready?' "'In a very few minutes, sir. You'll find hot water in your rooms. My wife and I will be happy, Sir Henry, to stay with you until you've made your fresh arrangements. But you will understand that under the new conditions this house will require a considerable staff.' "'What new conditions?' "'I only meant, sir, "'that Sir Charles led a very retired life, "'and we were able to look after his wants. "'You would, naturally, "'wish to have more company, "'and so you will need charges in your household. "'Do you mean that your wife and you "'wish to leave?' "'Only when it is quite convenient to you, sir.' "'But your family have been with us "'for several generations, have they not? "'I should be sorry to begin my life here "'by breaking an old family connection.' I seemed to discern some signs of emotion upon the butler's white face. "'I feel that also, sir, and so does my wife. But to tell the truth, we were both very much attached to Sir Charles, and his death gave us a shock and made these surroundings very painful to us. I fear that we shall never again be easy in our minds at Baskerville Hall.' "'But what do you intend to do?' I have no doubt, sir, that we shall succeed in establishing ourselves in some business. Sir Charles's generosity has given us the means to do so. And now, perhaps i had best show you to your rooms. A square balustraded gallery ran round the top of the old hall, approached by a double stair. From this central point, two long corridors extended the whole length of the building, from which all the bedrooms opened. My own was in the same wing as Baskerville's, "'and almost next door to it. "'These rooms appeared to be much more modern "'than the central part of the house, "'and the bright paper and numerous candles "'did something to remove the somber impression "'which our arrival had left upon my mind. "'But the dining-room, which opened out of the hall, "'was a place of shadow and gloom. "'It was a long chamber with a step separating the dais "'where the family sat, "'from the lower portion reserved for their dependents.' At one end a minstrel's gallery overlooked it. Black beams shot across above our heads, with a smoke-darkened ceiling beyond them. With rows of flaring torches to light it up, and the color and rude hilarity of an old-time banquet, it might have softened, but now, when two black-clothed gentlemen sat on the little circle of light thrown by a shaded lamp, one's voice became hushed, and one's spirit subdued. A dim line of ancestors, in every variety of dress, from the Elizabethan knight to the buck of the regency, stared down upon us and daunted us by their silent company. We talked little, and I for one was glad when the meal was over and we were able to retire into the modern billiard room and smoke a cigarette. "'My word, it isn't a very cheerful place,' said Sir Henry. "'I suppose one can tone down to it, but I feel a bit out of the picture at present.' I DON'T WONDER THAT MY UNCLE GOT A LITTLE JUMPY IF HE LIVED ALL ALONE IN SUCH A HOUSE AS THIS. HOWEVER, IF IT SUITS YOU, WE WILL RETIRE EARLY TONIGHT, AND PERHAPS THINGS MAY SEEM MORE CHEERFUL IN THE MORNING. I DREW ASIDE MY CURTAINS BEFORE I WENT TO BED, AND LOOKED OUT FROM MY WINDOW. IT OPENED UPON THE GRASSY SPACE WHICH LAY IN FRONT OF THE HALL DOOR. BEHIND, TWO COPSES OF TREES MOANED AND SWUNG IN A RISING WIND. A half-moon broke through the rifts of racing clouds. In its cold light, I saw beyond the trees a broken fringe of rocks and the long, low curve of the melancholy moor. I closed the curtain, feeling that my last impression was in keeping with the rest, and yet it was not quite the last. I found myself weary and yet wakeful, tossing restlessly from side to side, seeking for the sleep which would not come. Far away, a chiming clock struck out the quarters of the hours, but otherwise a deathly silence lay upon the old house. And then, suddenly, in the very dead of night, there came a sound to my ears clear, resonant, and unmistakable. It was the sob of a woman, the muffled, strangling gasp of one who is torn by an uncontrollable sorrow. I sat up in bed and listened intently. The noise could not have been far away, and was certainly in the house. For half an hour I waited with every nerve on alert, but there came no other sound save the chiming clock and the rustle of the ivy on the wall. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road. We hope you enjoyed chapters 5 and 6 of The Hound of the Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle. If you're enjoying this series, Please do send us reviews. We'd love to have them. If you're an Apple listener, you can enter reviews at Apple Podcast. If you're Android, you can use Stitcher.com or Castbox.fm. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Meanwhile, don't forget to check out our new show, 1001 Greatest Love Stories, and that's available at Apple Podcast, Stitcher.com, and now lots of other apps and don't forget our website which has all of our shows all of our episodes at www.1001storiespodcast.com everybody stay safe and we'll be back next week